By the way, the intelligence agencies have been some of the worst at sharing information amongst themselves. We all know that. But guess what? There's now five cloud providers into critical parts of US um, government, defence and intelligence. And I asked the question in the US, well, are these guys all going to play well together? You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Trent, welcome to the show. Now, you've been sort of jet-setting around the world, which is almost weird to say considering the last few years. So I'm really keen to hear about some of your recent trips, some of the insights. What are people sort of talking about around the globe? Because, I mean, in Australia, we don't hear everything that goes on. So I'm really excited to hear your opinion on some of your meetings. But before we do that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So please, Trent, walk our listeners through where you started to where you are now. Hi, Carissa. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on the program. So, um, yeah, I've just come back from the US, from from DC, so the epicenter of uh, a lot of what's going on uh, cybersecurity and geopolitically at the moment. But but historically, yeah, look, I, I started the company Cocoon Data a number of years ago to try and solve that problem of, well, initially in government and um, and defence and intelligence of how you move information around, um, <clears throat> excuse me, securely. You know, cross domain as we call it, from one organisation to other, or or another age, one agency to another agency, and how do you do that with encrypted information, encrypted data, but maintain um, policy? Like, if it's classified, how do I make sure that you know, uh, you know, only you can get access to it if you've got the right classification or clearance according to the document, right? And that. That traditionally has been really hard. So, so we looked at solving that problem. We patented new technology on key management to do that so that, you know, if you've got a million files in the cloud, <clears throat> there's a million keys um, and those keys are orchestrated by, um, by policy. So what you can do with it, where you are, who you are, what the classification is, what the time of day is or whatever it may be. And we, we pushed it all up into a cloud service. So that's the problem we set out to solve and we kind of – I'm sure you've probably touched on this before, but um, we always joke that PKI is great. They just forgot the I. You know, there is no way or has not been a way of taking an object-based approach to securing information as you, you know, share it up in the cloud or around the internet. So that's the problem we set out to solve and I think think we've done a pretty good job of it. So we focus on government and defence here in Australia, but more recently have really in the last sort of year and a half have really focused on the US market, which which we'll come to because it's a pretty interesting market um, in, in doing what we're doing. So Aussie company, um, you know, successful in Australia, but but I think really what's getting interesting is the validation we're getting offshore. So uh, that's a quick bit of background of, of who we are. Would you say you get more validation offshore than you do onshore? Now, I ask this question because – Australia is an interesting place for startups. I mean, of course, when you're starting out, sort of people might not necessarily want to know you, but once you sort of make it to that certain level, the sort of tables turn. Have you sort of noticed anything in terms of people's opinions towards that or what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think there's a um, – <clears throat> there's still a uh, – I think broadly in – look, obviously things have changed a lot. When I, when I first started doing things – you know, 10 or more than that, nearly 20 years ago in, in startups in Australia, um, the VC uh, community was virtually non-existent. Um, there was, there was a, literally you could count on one hand the number of VCs. 
Um, <clears throat> and uh, that's obviously changed substantially since then. Um, I, I still think that um, it's still going to take time for it to to evolve to the maturity that we see in the US from the broader VC community by ways of it not just being, <clears throat> excuse me, fund managers who might have come out of, you know, banking or funds management and set up a VC fund um, who, who might understand a lot about finance and, and money but actually don't understand as much about the tech side. So it takes that natural um, generational shift that you've had in the US because it's a more mature industry where, you know, you, you build a company, you sell it and then you come join a uh, – a VC fund on their um, investment committees or advisory panels. So I still think there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit of a lack of uh, that experience across some of the, the VC sector in Australia. I think secondly, I, I think there's a um, uh, still probably a focus on that early stage investment, seed investment that's more to do with, um, you know, trying to get a big uplift uh, and get companies out of this, uh, uh, you know, are they going to expand offshore, right? Are you going to make it offshore? Um, whereas I think in the US, um, they're, they're more focused on that hyperscale and assuming that you've already made it in the big markets. So I think there's a, there's a natural, uh, wariness here in Australia to, to think that, you know, you, you, you're not going to make it or you're not going to get to the US or you're not going to get out of Australia in the big markets. I think, uh, I think that the entrepreneurs in Australia have proven they can do that pretty well. And I think the third issue in some of the markets here is that uh, they don't want to pay. So the valuations uh, in Australia for, for uh, tech startups uh, are vastly different to what they are in the US, um, obviously better in the US. Uh, but then again, not everybody uh, has that ability to access the US markets without the VCs in Australia. So it's a bit of a uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't type thing, right? But um, And that depends on sector too. That tends to be a lot more um, consumer-based or uh, focus in this country than there is in um, other areas like uh, cyber and what have you. So we're a little bit different. But um, but broadly, uh, you know, if you can get into that US market, um, which we which we have done a, a pretty good job of over the last year and a half, uh, the, probably eighty percent of our customers are, are US based; they're not Australia based. So um, it's an interesting dynamic, right? Yeah, and no, I really appreciate you sharing those thoughts because. You are right. Everything you're saying, I'm not surprised by. And I think, you know, even getting people on like yourself on the show, like we want to be able to publicize a lot of these startups that are doing really great things, right? So for me, uh, I want to be able to help companies as much as, as I can. Uh, and I appreciate you shedding light on that. Now, it's interesting because you and I were scheduled to talk two weeks back and it's, it's interesting because so many things in the world can change quite rapidly. Now, we've seen a lot of catastrophic events happen here in Australia. We've seen other global events happen. So there's been a lot going on. There was a lot going on before recent few weeks. So I'm keen to sort of explore your understanding with the conversations you've had overseas uh, and some of the trends that you're sort of seeing in the market now, specifically towards like a Australia, UK, US. So yeah, keen to open that up to the floor, Trent, and um, hear your thoughts. Sure. Look, we um, and I'll sort of, uh, I suppose, uh, position this by saying, look, we we are in the data security market. So my comments here and my insights will be very much around that. I won't, you know, I, I don't want to try and uh, pretend that I know. My, <laughs> I'm an expert on everything. They're, they're the worst people to speak to, right? Um, you can go online and see that on social media every day. So you know, w- with regards to what we're seeing around. Um, data security for organisations, uh, whether they're uh, – traditionally for us, we, we started our 
our life out in the um, counter-espionage, counter-terrorism type world and, and sort of supporting those, those efforts. And, and there's other software companies that have grown up in that space in the US now, probably the most well-known one's Palantir. But, um, you know, so when I sit down, I've, I've had two weeks in DC and I've sat down with uh, some of the biggest cloud companies uh, in the world from a from an infrastructure, and I'll, I won't name them for obvious reasons, but, you know, the biggest cloud um, uh, vendor in the world, vendors in the world through to some of the most um, uh, substantial um, uh, cloud delivery and operations type companies <coughs> in DC as well. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. And what, what, we, what, what was really interesting was while, whilst I was there, um, you know, this um, – the Russian-Ukraine uh, invasion uh, happened, and that's sort of what you're referring to, right? I mean, that, that when you and I were supposed to speak, and I had those technical issues through travel, uh, that that hadn't happened. It was it was being talked about likely uh, happening, and it's happened since then. Um, so I was there while the US government came out and said to uh, you know all US businesses, all US businesses, please. Uh, take stock of your your, your cyber security hygiene. Please look at what you're doing. Please look at you know what's hap- what you're doing to protect your organisations and your employees. Um, I, I don't think I've seen uh, an appeal like that from the US government to to all business. You know, previously they've been sector related. They might have said it to to banking and finance or or in particular defence industry base uh, in, in America. You know, defence contractors. But this was a broad appeal because. Even though you may not directly be targeted, uh, you know, by um, you know, foreign state adversaries such as Russia, there's the indirect hits. You know, they go after um, with ransomware uh, type technology to to certain sectors, but unfortunately, that can uh, spread quite quickly into you know small medium business, um, either in, uh, intentionally or unintentionally. So, and what what gets locked up is the data, right? And um, and they're out there to cause mass chaos. Uh, while I was there. The uh, the DDoS attacks on um, on those Ukrainian financial institutions uh, occurred. Uh, you know, I was sitting in meetings with um, uh, with the head of uh, for one of the big cloud providers, the, the the Department of Defense account for one of the big cloud providers, as we're working on a, a major project for keeping info information secure uh, globally uh, around um, one of the warfighter platforms. Right, as they have to manage that warfighter platform globally. Uh, so we were sitting there discussing literally how we protect that information in the cloud. So whether you're in you know, Australia or, uh, or Europe or, or Asia and you are a customer of uh, this warfighter platform, how do they keep that information secure, right? Because those, uh, whilst it had always been a, a, uh, a concern, obviously, uh, and, and a high priority to protect it, Suddenly, everything just went from maybe it was amber, if you want to look at it that way in the old uh, traffic light scenario, to red. Everything's just suddenly escalated. Everybody suddenly is taking a view of data, not just networks, but, but you know, individual data and saying, how are we going to protect this? Because uh, it's, uh, it's suddenly a massive issue. And obviously, what's happening uh, is really about China as well. But we we can come to that. But it was a uh, we can unpack this further. But it's a really interesting time to be sitting in DC, right? Okay, I'm just going to ask: Should people be worried about the cyber threat? About everything that you're sort of talking about today? I think I think they should be worried to the extent uh, that they uh, take stock of what's going on and take some time to look at their risk management. Now, why I say that is this. You know, I've been in cybersecurity and I've been to every RSA, well, not every, but most of the RSA conferences. I've stood around in this industry for 
whatever it's been now, 15 years, and I've watched cybersecurity um, and, and, and organisations sell fear, right? And I'm not a fear monger. I, I don't stand up at conferences and say, this is the worst thing that's going to happen to you, right? Um, you can see all the firewall companies and all the threat detection companies and all these different um, organisations who are in the cybersecurity sell fear. Just look at the colours of all their logos and branding, right? They're blacks and reds and all these sorts of colours, right? Look, I, I think we need to be vigilant is a better word than fear. I think we are far too relaxed. We hear about um, uh, uh, DDoS attacks. We hear about ransomware. And if you've got everything sitting on laptops um, and then suddenly your employee clicks on the wrong thing and all your data gets locked up, um, then you should be fearful. But you've only got yourself to blame because perhaps you didn't um, take it seriously. Um, so I think I think um, we need to be vigilant. We need to um, – if you didn't believe in this previously, if you thought it won't happen to me, um, then I hope people realise that the the we've been saying in the industry that – that future wars will be will be um, you know fought on a, a cyber uh, landscape going forward. I think Russia's just proven to everybody, but that absolutely is the landscape. Now they proved that when they attacked those financial institutions and other institutions in Ukraine. Have a look at the response. Have a look at the response from the West. Putin has massively uh, underestimated the response by the by the uh, the vector that response came from i think he and, and anyone on dc will tell you this he uh, i think took the misstep that uh, he believed that the west would not put boots on ground i mean the us had just pulled out, out, out of afghanistan after a tortuous 15 years or whatever it was um, and he was right but what he was wrong about was that there was 6 to 12 months planning out of dc <clears throat> Uh, uh, supported by the West to cripple them financially, um, and and that's technology. That's the Swift networks. It's payment networks. So when he wakes up and comes out of the other side of this, whatever that may may look like, or, or the people that follow him, or, or or really this message is about China, right? This message is about. I mean, if you were a Chinese millionaire or billionaire out there right now, you might be having a little chat to the president saying, do we really need to be that aggressive in the South China Sea or Taiwan? I think everybody understands that now. But it's all about cyber, right? And it's all about networks and payments and and, and um, how do we investigate data? Look look at what came out yesterday with the new agency in the US around, as they're calling the klepto-capture. Klepto-capture. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Agency. And that's all about now supported by other countries like us as well, investigating where all the money sits for all these um, oligarchs and, and other wealthy people that support these um, errant, if you want to call it that, foreign states and, uh, and locking up all their assets. You know, uh, They came out yesterday and said, the US government, we are coming after your boats, your super yachts, your houses, the whole lot. You've got uh, Abramovich selling off all these assets. So this is all about technology. It's all about data. And this is the next level. So what does that tell you? It tells you that whether you're China, Russia or any other uh, uh, state, going forward, whatever happens post this Ukraine conflict, um, it's all about the data. It's all about the internet. It's all about the cloud. So um, it's critically important that we protect our assets because those foreign states will be out there to cause mass chaos Around um, you know data and, and networks and uh, in, and um, national security and sensors and IoT and and whether you're a small business or a big business, um, it is not unlikely that in some way you won't feel the effects. So we better pull our socks up. 
socks up and uh, start to get a bit serious about it rather than being fearful, I think. I think we just need to face it and, and look at it and decide what we're going to do as a business, as businesses. Yeah, good points you raised there. One of the things that you sort of said earlier is people are very relaxed. Now, when you say people, do you mean Australian people? Do you mean everyone across the globe? So first of all, who? But second of all, why is that the case? Okay, so uh, well, sorry, I, I was referring there to be clear to largely Australian business. I think Australian business is a little bit too relaxed about it. So, for example, if I said to you, uh, go and look at all, all the, the data across your organisation. I'm not suggesting that all the data in your organisation needs to be protected. Maybe only 10 or 20% of it does. It could be customer-sensitive information, you know, person, personally identifiable data like, you know, credit card numbers or uh, personal details, phone numbers, addresses, whatever, whatever you consider to be within your regulatory framework that you sit under as an industry, whether that's banking or legal or... Healthcare, for example, with health records, or, or obviously government. There's all the, all the classified uh, data, or or what's called sensitive unclassified data. Now that might only make up twenty percent of your organisation's data, but where is it? What are you doing about it? Um, and if I said to you, you should look at moving it uh, off your, you know, C drive type local network drives into secure cloud type services, whether they're us or, or other ones for that matter. People say, oh, well, I don't want to do it. You know, we say our biggest barrier to, to data security and, and, and data governance and compliance is email, right? People still put all these attachments on email. They send all this stuff. They And you know what? We talk to CISOs and chief privacy officers all around the world and they say, oh, well, it's a behavioural issue. Well, as an organisation, um, you know, do you, is that is that really your biggest problem, that you can't force your, your employees to, to use sec- – Secure cloud services, and by the way, secure cloud services in in ninety percent of organisations is going to be much more secure than what you can ever do with your own networks on a daily basis. Um, you you need to look at those policies and say, well, no, sorry, you have to use these compliant uh, cloud services that, that the companies now purchase for you and, and enforce good behaviour. Because I tell you what, if you get locked up for ransomware across all your laptops and you suddenly can't access that data, or even worse. It's gone and sold on the uh, internet. You, you, you're finished. You know, we used to say data security is job security. If you're if you're responsible for risk and compliance, and you don't say to your CEO or whoever is in charge, we need to change behaviour of our our team. Then, um, frankly, when it happens, you, you haven't got much to uh, sympathy to expect, do you? Because um, you, you you haven't been vigilant. So that's what I mean. You don't need to be fearful. You just need to be proactive. Um, I mean, look at the big breach a couple of years ago with Target in the US. Well, the majority of the C-suite lost their jobs, um, you know. And if you're a customer of Target, um, why shouldn't they, right? Uh, when I lived in the US a few years ago in DC, uh, we we were with uh, Anthem, which is the second biggest uh, health healthcare insurer in the US, and Anthem was subject to a huge attack where, uh, you know, all the per- – not all, but the majority of personal details were – were lost. So, you know, um, how, how did I feel about that? Not very happy, I tell you. So um, just get on with it. Just go do something. And if, and if Russia and Russia invading China and the cyber, cyber attacks and, and the response from the West around payment networks and data and, you know, they've got to go through all the data, right? To go and find all those boats and super yachts, they've got to scour huge amounts of data around the internet. Now, to do that, they, they discard the majority of what they see to find what they're looking for, right? So what do you think the Chinese and the Russians are going to do? They're going to go out there and try and um, cause chaos across 
wherever that data may be located. Now, your data may or may not be with that data. You don't, you know, you, n- you need to get a little bit organised about managing risk, seeing where your assets are, data assets are, and protecting them. Yeah, you're so true. That's why I wanted to clarify when you said Australia in particular. I think we are a very relaxed nation on a lot of things. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that definitely needs to change. So I'd like to sort of now explore some of your thoughts on where you believe we're headed as an industry. Now, this is an interesting question because, I mean, things have changed quite substantially. So I'm keen to hear your thoughts in terms of maybe before recent events or, you know, what's happening now post these events. Um. As an industry, look, I think um, I think I think as an industry, we have to uh, engage better with the sectors we're selling to or servicing. Um, I think we've got to move away from uh, this sort of uh, straight sort of technical fear-based sell to to sizos, right? That says, "Well, we can sell you a better way of fixing this or protecting yourself from this." I think it's no longer just the job of the, the tech arm of the business to go and buy more cybersecurity products. I think it's just got to be part of normal conversation, whether it's CEO level or anybody else. We've got to do a better job of not selling on fear and saying, quick, give me a million dollars now as a vendor because, uh, you know, you, you need to be, have a better firewall because you're, you're getting hacked every day. I think we've just got to have a discussion about um, how we uh, how we solve problems, how we're more proactive, how we all work together better too as an industry, how our products all uh, work together, right, to solve a problem. You know, if it, the poor old uh, you know, customer out there has got to go and buy 10 different products in, in cyber or, or data security or whatever, you know, aspect of it is, um, they don't want to have to sit there and plug it all together and make sure there's no holes, right? Um, so I think as an industry we need to get more um, – Connected, we need to work uh, more closely together. In some cases, as as uh, as as uh, software and cybersecurity or cloud companies, so that uh, the so if if a company is buying from multiple different vendors who solve multiple different problems, they can feel more comfortable that um, that the that the points of failure or, or points of risk are being better covered by the vendor. So I think we've got to w- work more closely together. I think we're going to be more open about that to our customers. Uh, our customers know that it's their problem to try and stitch all this together. I think we've got to be better about saying, hey, we know that there. if you put these 10 things together, there's going to be gaps. We'll help you fix those. Um, and I think we've got to do it in a more um, candid fashion. So that's the first point. Second point is we've got to share information better. Um, most industries you look at, whether it's banking or uh, insurance, medical, does a dreadful job of sharing. Banking's probably a, a less of an example, but most industries do a bad job, right, of sharing information about um, what's happened to them on a cyber level, like, you know, daily attacks or whatever. So hence you've got the government trying to put legislation through. Let me give you a good example as opposed to the bad posture that largely exists. In the UK, there's something called open banking and um, open banking is coming to Australia. The government's going to introduce it. Banks don't like it, but the consumers love it. So if you're with Lloyd's Bank and you've got a um, and you've got a uh, uh, a mortgage, you can turn around and, with your permission, you can, your mortgage data can be shared with the other banks. The other banks might say, "Hey, great, Trent, I'm going to give you a better offer." Right. So it's to increase competition amongst the banks and encourage people to move for better deals. 
Um, amongst those banking communities, they share all sorts of information as part of open banking around what's happening right in the cyber landscape, threats, potential um, attacks, and they share that information to increase the community cyber hygiene across the banking sector. Um, and you know, on a bit of a shameless plug, it's it's our software in the cloud that allows them to facilitate that sharing of. Um, uh, all that information on a on a cyber landscape, threat landscape, they do it through through our secure cloud. Now, imagine if that happened in industries, uh, whether it was healthcare or whether it was, um, you know, the mining sector in this country or, or insurance is another good example. Um, it tends to be almost a sense of, uh, you know, there was a there was an attempted hack or there was a hack on company A in the insurance sector, for example, let's keep it quiet because we don't want the ramifications in the press or, or whatever. So there tends to be a, a lack of sharing among the communities. Um, you know, I've got to give credit to the federal government at the moment and what they're doing with national, uh, national infrastructure, critical na national infrastructure, and setting up um, industry and government bodies to share that information. It's early days, but the people around the table are the right people and um, it's another good example of the government actually showing some leadership in this space. But I think, back to your question, Carissa, that's, that's where we've got to move to, right? We can't see this as, uh, I didn't do something right, so I'm going to bury my head in the sand and not tell anybody because the attack that happened on me is probably going to happen to uh, you know, many others in my uh, industry sector, so we have to talk about it better and share that information real time better. Yeah, that's interesting, Trent, because one of the things that comes up in my mind and with recent conversations that I've had with people, as well as I've interviewed people on the show about this, so you talk around the information information sharing, but one of the things that I'd like to understand is what's people's sort of reservation towards that? Are people worried that if they start sharing information, which of course is a, a, a good goal uh, for the industry, but perhaps vendors or suppliers may feel that they're I guess the people that they're competing against are going to have that intelligence. So is it, there's a bit of that in there or? Yeah, look, I, um, that's a, it's a really interesting question. I suppose there's no single uh, answer for it. I, I certainly think, um, I, I think it comes with a bit of a culture. I think that uh, if, if you think about who runs and manages the, uh, the SOCs, the security operations centers in, in larger organizations. Uh, they tend to be very secretive by nature. They tend to uh, not want uh, to have uh, anybody know what's going on, where there might be vulnerabilities, because they, they think from a defensive Right, they think from a defensive mindset. They sit in these rooms. If you, you know, I'm sure you've seen them. They sit in these big dark rooms with no windows, with all screens in front of them, and are looking for vulnerabilities and networks, and making sure that their their insurance company or their bank or their their their, their medical organisation or, or their government department is safe. So when you take a defense type approach to things, um, you're much less likely to uh, to pick up the phone to your competitor and say, "Hey guys." Um, we got hit through this, 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 and this, and um, and you should watch out for it too, right? It doesn't tend to be that sort of uh, that approach all the time. Um, often uh, these weaknesses will come through uh, through software or vendors. You know, something won't have been patched, or there'll be a vulnerability found. So often it's uh, it, it really the culture at the moment is very much about um, 
the software, uh, the communities around that software, whether that's a, an operating system or, or, or whatever it may be, but an application layer. Uh, it's about those communities uh, um, um, distributing the information. So if I find a bug in something or a vulnerability in something, I might post it to some sort of uh, you know, community with the, that I'm working on in that uh, open source community around um, an operating system, for, for example, and then it's up to everybody else to go and you know, keep, keep, keep that monitored and, um, and, and for you as an organization to then um, update your, your um, infrastructure with that patch, right? So it's sort of a hub and spoke, right? Um, as opposed to the um, to the uh, to at the end of the spokes, uh, you know, talking to each other, and I think that's a bit of an issue because, look, if you go and do any, it, let's look at it from a different view, certifications. So everybody in the out there, whether you're in playing federal government or whether you're playing other sectors like healthcare or banking, there's standards around cybersecurity. So, for example, in the US with healthcare, it's HIPAA. You know, in Australia for uh, for carrying classified information in the cloud, it's IRAP. Any of the independent organisations that audit organisations like us, so we're going through FedRAMP, which is the highest level in the US to carry uh, US federal data, where IRAP here. The independent auditors go through a whole process to check you off and say, yes, this 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 technology is good to go. Um, and a big part of that is how you do your vulnerability management and patching and all that sort of stuff. And all of that, a big part of that is, you know, do you subscribe to the right um, sources to make sure you're up to date, right? Nowhere, nowhere in any of the industry um, compliance and standards, and whether that's Australia or the US or anything else, is there is there a requirement for um, industry to share amongst each other, right? I hope I'm articulating this properly, but it's it's not about the industry sharing amongst each other. It's about us as a software company or or you as an insurance company or whatever, making sure that you go back to um, a central source, whether they're, um, you know, uh, community um, techno tech boards and, and, and places or, or software companies and getting your update. Well, hang on. So, so your question was, what do you think? Uh, is a change in the industry going forward. We've got to work better together with our peers, with our competitors, and and become more resilient as a sector. You look at the mining sector, which or, or, or critical infrastructure is a better one. Critical infrastructure, right? Everybody's worried about oil and gas pipelines or dams or railway networks in an IoT landscape. Well, that's not really going to be the way to run it for the next 10 or 20 years going back to some sort of central patching point for IoT. There's got to be more of a, uh, a community-based discussion around critical infrastructure to make sure if I think about some better way of uh, doing uh, data security on an IoT uh, landscape, that I should share that with, uh, with other um, contemporaries in, my, in, in that sector uh, rather than um, uh, necessarily seeing it just as a competitive advantage because I tell you what, if I, if I play in um, critical infrastructure for uh, water pipelines and then something happens over on the, the rail uh, networks that's um, basically the same threat but attacked on a different different um, piece of infrastructure, we're all going to suffer. So we all have to get a bit better about thinking it's not just about competitive advantage, it's about sustainability um, of operations and, and, and business rather than just, you know, getting ahead for an extra, you know, month or six months in, in terms of cyber. Yeah, you're so right. And I think that's the great way to phrase it, competitive advantage. I'll be honest, I don't think everyone's going to think like that. I think maybe on the surface they'll say, yeah, of course, we're going to band together, but I think there's still going to be the ulterior motive. And I hope that's not the case. 
Uh, but I mean, you know, I've, I speak to a lot of people and you can sort of see some of their ulterior motives at times. So I hope that that's not the case, but I know that not everyone's going to think that we want to solve this problem together uh, because if that was the case, we probably would already be doing it right. <laughs> I think that's right, but I think also uh, – I think you're absolutely right, but I think also the the downside now is so much bigger than it was historically. If I go back 10 years ago – and a lot of – by the way, cybersecurity is a sector that a lot of people are new to because it got hot in the last, whatever, five or six or seven years. I mean, I've been in it 15, 15 or more years, right? So I have seen a shift. I mean, if you look at – going back to my point earlier about the federal government here, what's happening with the working committee at the national level around critical infrastructure. Uh, there are people from federal government there. There are people from industry, from the big telcos, from software companies, uh, from from actual uh, big, you know, sort of civil construction type infrastructure. And they're all around the table. Sometimes there's 60 people dialed into that call talking about what we need to do to solve problems, right? So, so absolutely, I think it's changing. Um, but it's changing because uh, we need leadership at government or policy level to say it is unacceptable if you're going to play in critical infrastructure to say I've got a better way of doing cybersecurity than you. So my part of the what I do to look after the pipelines okay, but if it gets blown up by the bad guys, right? Uh, because you didn't have the information I had, ha ha ha, bad luck, right? That, as the Americans would say, that dog don't hunt, right? We we got to stop that mentality because it's just it's BS, and I think it will start at industry sector where government saying we will not let you play unless you play well in the sandpit, right? And uh, I've had these discussions in the US where kind of like you're saying, Chris, I said, well, are, really, are people really going to come together and do it? Are they really going to do this post this Russia scenario in certain sectors like banking or critical infrastructure or um, well, certainly in the intelligence agencies? By the way, the intelligence agencies have been some of the worst at sharing information amongst themselves. We all know that. But guess what? There's now five cloud providers into critical parts of US um, government, defence and intelligence. And I asked the question in the US, well, are these guys all going to play well together? Because they have to play well together if, if, the, if the US government um, from a DOD and intelligence perspective is going to play well together. And the answer I got might surprise a lot of people. They are being told and I won't name which ones, obviously, but they are being told they must play together nicely in the sandpit, they must collaborate, or they will not be part of the US government cloud um, infrastructure um, community. Now, you look at those cloud providers outside of US government, they do not play well together. They do not talk. They are fierce competitors. Um, but they are being told, you play well together or you will not be part of the multi-billion dollar opportunities. For, for... So, so I think, I think that will filter down. I think it'll filter down. Has to. But let's see if I'm right or wrong. Well, look, the, the optimistic person inside of me is like, yes, we need to do this. But I guess, you know, like look at look at corporations and like climbing the corporate ladder. Like there's always there's always someone out there that's not as honest and saying what, you know, they're not as truthful in their statements. So time will tell. I like to hope so. And I and I have belief in people that they want to do the right thing. There's always going to be there's always going to be that sort of pariah that sort of steps outside the line. But let let's see, Trent. Time will tell, as you said. Now, one of the things I'd like to move on to is interesting one. It's around mainstream media. Now, I think 
I would say in recent years, it's got a pretty bad rap, right? So a lot of things have happened in in the world that I guess people perhaps are not listening to mainstream media or they're not sharing the right facts. Uh, so I'm I'm keen to hear your perspective on this because do you think mainstream media has a large part of how people in security view the industry? Do people... Let me understand that question. Do you mean to, to society have a view of cybersecurity through mainstream media that's not uh, fair or reflective or – sorry, I'm just trying to unpack that a bit better so I can answer your question. Well, there's two ways you could look at it. So one of the – okay, so for example, mainstream media, if they're putting all the attention on like Russia, Ukraine, that's obviously going to have an impact on the security industry and then you've got sort of the consumer side of it. So I'd like to focus on the security side and then maybe you can speak about the consumers because, I mean, if you're focusing – 100% of, of all your content on X problem, people are obviously going to be more focused on that. Oh, I see. Yeah. Look, it's a bit – yeah, look, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I think that the issue with mainstream media is um, – and this is probably a broader statement, but there's a bit of a, um, a, um, a dumbing down across the mainstream media outlets – of, of quality journalism, right? I mean, all the all those mainstream mastheads are now, you know, they're constantly firing journalists or saying we're going to outsource all the journalism for pay per piece, right? So, so you, so how much time is actually um, allocated in mainstream media to genuine, um, thoughtful investigative jour- journalism, or indeed expertise within those mastheads around? Um, Topics and cybersecurity is a perfect example, right? It's not politics. It doesn't. Re- it, it doesn't justify a mainstream masthead having, <clears throat> you know, ten political, uh, ten, uh, ten, let alone maybe even one cybersecurity report, like they do in politics. So the question is, um, are you getting uh, in the mainstream media uh, uh, information uh, that's at the top of the masthead that is actually truthful? Um, is it? Do they know what they're talking about? Um, and is it helpful? Um, because uh, largely the media around our sector is is through informed um, uh, outlets like yourself, for example, who are talking to subject matter experts. We may not all necessarily agree, but we'll have a robust discussion about it. I think the problem out there on the street is that the average person is getting um, the average person who doesn't know much about. What they should be doing is getting their information from someone who, as a journalist, is probably trying to do their best. And I'm not, and I'm not, um, you know, trying to speak ill of them. Far from it. But they're asked to, to cover all sorts of things, and I and I don't think people are getting the information they need. I think they're getting back to the beginning of our conversation. They're getting sold fear. They're getting, you know, and let's face it, let's click. That's what clicks. People people click on. Um, uh, you know, big big headlines and and fear and uh, ex- not not extremism. That's the wrong word, but uh, you, you probably pick a better word than me. But you know that that's that sense of uh, oh my goodness, something terrible's just happened. With some big headline is what gets the clicks, right? Um, so so I think there's so I think the mainstream media is still selling um, not selling propagating that that fear aspect. Uh, which has benefit to a degree because it makes people sit up and take notice. But then when they move on to the next thing, there's nothing to support it. So the average person on the street then turns around, whether that's a person on the street as a consumer or someone in, in middle management in a business, and they think, well, what am I supposed to do now? 
oh, well, there's nothing else in the media because there was no follow-through. So I think that's the problem, right? I'm trying to say let's be vigilant, let's increase what we do. I suppose to be fair to the to the other side of the, the conversation is well, where do they find that information? And, and I think that's a bit of a problem, right? They can get fear, fear and alert, but how do they help themselves to be better? Yeah, you're so right, absolutely. And this is, like I said, it's an interesting topic. This could probably be a whole episode on its own. Would you <laughs> say that... We are being led astray. When I say we, I mean sort of, I don't know, the collective nation or the consumers due to what's popular in the news. Like, as I said, if you if you're, all your content's based on X topic, that's what's going to get people more interested in that topic opposed to perhaps not as much content around X topic. So do you think that we are sort of being, you know, the blind leading the blind here or what do you think? Hmm. I think... Uh, I think uh, the general um, thematic or, 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 or um, um, leading stories across the Australian media and press is ho-hum, same, same. So whether you go on Fairfax or whether you go on News or whether you go on you know, any of the other one, the other more mainstream ones, they're pretty much the same stories. Open up the Australian, right, online, then open up Sydney Morning Herald or The Age, then go and open up, you know, Courier Mail or any other ones, and pretty much it's all the same news, right, going back to my point earlier about, about um, journalism. Um, and, and it tends to be very introspective in Australia. I mean, most people couldn't tell you where the uh, international uh, button tab is to, to, to find out what's really going on around the world. Now, I don't know if that's a fault of Australian journalism or the fact that Australians are just uh, not interested um, and uh, and frankly, that's all the news they want to know is about what happened with the neighbours' fight between Barry and Mary over the chook shed, over the back fence, right, as opposed to what's really happening elsewhere. So, you know, is that the fault of the media or is that what Australians are clicking on and therefore that's what's selling ads and that's therefore, um, you know, we're not really asking for anything more uh, incisive or intelligent than uh, than uh, than what a current affair is telling you about uh you know, in the evenings. Certainly, I think it's a small market. That's the problem. You've only got whatever it is, 30 million people. So there's not a lot of room for, for broad-based journalism, certainly thoughtful or investigative journalism. Um, you know, you go to markets, <clears throat> you know, I spend a lot of time in the US. Yes, you can watch the trash like Fox News, of course, but let's put that aside. Um, you know, whether you're, uh, you're looking at the New York Times or the, or the um, you know, uh, Washington Post or, or other articles, news outlets I mean it's it's really really good journalism it's uh it's thinking about what's going on in foreign politics you know I've got I've got a brother-in-law who's quite prominent in um in um the academic community here in Australia and foreign policy and uh, has regular slots on media and you know he's a big thinker in this space but there's not that many people that actually want to listen to that so I think the problem is uh, I think we need to wake up a little bit we as Australians need to realize I think we've been too lucky to be quite frank and people may not agree with me here but I think this country's had it too easy I think it's in some ways too wealthy I think a lot of people expect uh, to be paid a lot of money for not doing too much and because of that um, we've been padded for probably since uh, you know uh, uh, post-war with uh, probably a little bit of a blip in the in the 70s and, and maybe a little bit in the 90s. But largely, um, you know, you compare this country to the US, everybody gets paid well here. And people complain they don't believe me, they do. And I think 
because we've been uh, so wealthy uh, for various reasons, resources and other things over the last 30 or 40 years, people just expect that, uh, you know, that, that four-bedroom house on a block with two new cars in the driveway. And I think because that's sort of come to them, they haven't had to worry too much about what's happening in the rest of the world. Maybe they haven't had to get real. Uh, maybe things like what's happening at the moment in the cyber attacks, you know, Australia's never been invaded. Right. Remember, America had never had an act of war um, outside of the Pearl Harbor uh, attack back in the 40s, but even that was down in Hawaii until 9-11. Right. They'd never experienced terrorism until 9-11. So sometimes it takes global events to hit your own shore before you wake up and realise that um, we can't take everything for granted and you can't just roll along expecting uh, to get big pay rises every year for uh for, for uh, you know, for sitting in the armchair on on Easy Street. So I think, um, yeah, our, me- our mainstream media is a little bit uh, pedestrian and uh, and uh, and unincisive. But I think maybe a lot of the consumers of that in Australia are, are equally uh, <laughs> um, uh, inclined to only want to do that, right? And um, but people don't want to hear that, right? They just want to think, oh well, we just need to get the government to pay us more money or up the minimum wage or do this or do that. Um, one thing I do find interesting as an entrepreneur working in America versus Australia is uh, is there's an absolute sense of, uh, you know, pat on the back, good job, buddy. You know, you drive down the street in America uh, in, a, uh, in, a, in a brand new car that's, you know, of some sort of prestige and you'll get people who are in some, uh, you know, um, you know, old half clapped out car honking and giving you a cheer saying great car good job buddy it doesn't happen in this country i know that's a very might seem very um like a small example but but it's a difference in mentality you know people if you fail in one or two startups in america they'll say what did you learn from that in australia you fail in one or two startups try walking into uh uh, investors in Australia and, and getting funded. I mean, it's virtually impossible, which is absolutely ridiculous. There's not many people that can pull off a Scott and an MCB and get it right from uni all the way to a $100 billion Atlassian, right? It, it, it's If you study any statistics, it's a massive outlier. In fact, in the US right now, the most successful startups are by people in their mid-40s. They've learned something, right? They've got some things wrong. But try telling that to a lot of Australian investors. So I think we've still got a very tall poppy syndrome with a, a bit of bit of jealousy around people who make a few bob or are successful. Uh, it's all about luck. You know, that's what Australians are. Oh, you got lucky, mate. Well, well, I think it was Jack Nicholas. don't quote me, but it was certainly one of the golfers. I think it was Jack Nicholas. He said, funnily enough, uh, when he was told about this after winning, asked about this by Journal after winning all those tournaments, he said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Well, you know what? That's just the reality of life, isn't it? You know, so um, anyway, it's a bit of a rant there on my, my behalf, I suppose. But I think we've just been too relaxed, just been too relaxed. We've just got to pull our heads in a bit and work harder and take some risks and, and not um, put a black badge on people if they didn't, if they didn't um, you know, if they didn't succeed because they're the ones creating the jobs. It's not the government creating the jobs. You're so right. No, I loved all your points, loved the rant. One thing i just like to sort of perhaps just press on a little bit more now, when, I mean, historically speaking, when I was going to a lot of events, the main thing that people would say is like security awareness, we've got to get in front of mainstream media and all of that. So as you've alluded to, people, whether it's consumers or it's the way the mainstream media is set up or however you want to look at it, they are not really publicizing security events. Now, take the Russia-Ukraine thing out, like that's a bit different, but like the average, I don't know, data breach, it may be touched on, but it's very small. And so I'm keen to understand, like, do you think that'll change? Because as you said, most people 
I mean, that's a broad statement, but I'm more focused on looking at The Bachelor or The Married at First Sight and what's happening there, <laughs> opposed to real breaches that are happening that are perhaps they're not being focused on. So I guess people are going to skim over it because if they're focusing, again, 100% of their content on who won The Bachelor, then that's what people are going to sort of look at versus, oh, we'll just skim over so-and-so got breached, but who cares? So do you think that's their failing, perhaps why we're not getting the the sort of attention in the space? Because that's one big sort of sticking point. I've, I've heard a lot in the space of people complaining that mainstream media isn't focusing the attention on the security side of it, and therefore they're not getting the buy-in. Yep, absolutely. I agree with it. Um, where do you start, right? Look, I, I think... I think maybe what we need to do as an industry, and 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 I'll put my hand up here as well and say that uh, you know at the moment we all tend to focus on growing our businesses and our customers and everything else that because there's so much demand out there. But I think there's a general lack of awareness. Is the mainstream media going to do it? No, probably not. Is there a way that as industry we need to be better at saying, for example, let me give you an example. Everybody thinks of cybersecurity just on the basis of the of the plane of, you know, networks and firewalls, right? I use the old castle analogy, right? <clears throat> you build a bigger wall and you stop the you stop the arrows and the uh, and the uh, and the and the cannons firing through, right? But once you're inside that castle, as we know, we've all watched the movies. <clears throat> if you breach that wall, once you're inside, it's a free for all. Once you're inside the castle wall, right? That's largely the same as the way organisations think of security, right? They put up the big wall, but if you're inside, look out. It's 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 a free for all. My view on this is that is that uh, we've got to focus on the data itself. You know, when Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone, that game was up, right? There is no sort of um, physical barrier between data anymore. It moves to cloud, it moves to mobile phones, it moves, you know, in and out of the organisation. So, you know, we took a focus on that to say focus on the individual object of data, encrypt every blob of data with a unique key, then set a policy that decides whether that key is released or not. So that, that means it doesn't matter, you know, whether the data's on a mobile phone or in a cloud or on a local network advice, we can control all that from a central plane up in the cloud. Now, nobody has thought about that. You know, when I sat down with some of the biggest network companies in America and cloud vendors, and I said, that gets rid of the traditional landscape of VPNs out to IoT landscapes. How are you going to control billions of sensors if you need VPNs? It's not going to happen. It doesn't scale the way we've been doing things. But if I can encrypt a little blob of data and send it out to the edge over any open, unsecure network, and all I've got to do is have some periodic channel to deliver a key every now and then to, to decrypt that blob based on that robot saying or that sensor saying, uh, I'm a valid identity, um, so send me a key to decrypt this blob, that changes the landscape. So I think the reason I'm telling you that is I think what we need to do is get out there in not so much mainstream media, maybe it's even the the next tier down, whatever we call that, whether that's through events and conferences, and have more keynote addresses, keynote addresses to business and, 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 and conferences around just generally how we should think about uh, security, right? It's not about getting up there and 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 showing um, command line about uh, or, or or an incident that happened in a security operations center, right? There's there's plenty of forums for those people to 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 look at that themselves through the software vendors and and the and the and the communities that I spoke about earlier in the in this show. I think we need to do a job of whether that's an insurance um, or a banking or a healthcare or a 
you know, it could be car sales, right? It could be the automotive industry, anything, right? Healthcare, aged care, and get out there. And those organisations should say, you know what, as part of our conference this year, we're going to have somebody from the industry talk about um, you know, data security. And, and the person that gets up and speaks about that needs to be somebody or multiple people in any industry who can talk to people in plain English and say, hey, guys, ladies and gentlemen, talk about this in a, in a plain context. Think about it this way. Think about looking after this, thinking about looking about that. It's not about flogging a company or a product, which conferences often are, but just trying to educate better. And I think if, in, if the sectors that are going to be affected by this put it on the agenda for their conferences and invited the right people to come and say, hey, this is how you should talk about it. Not from a tech level, but from a business level, from a privacy, from a risk, but even, but not in technical or jargon, just in general, like we're having this conversation now. This is the conversation that needs to happen at conferences, right? For the average person who's not technical or, or whatever or, or in compliance or regulation but if they start talking about it because they saw it at a conference around the water cooler then it'll get out there and then maybe it ends up in mainstream hopefully in the near term because it's now topical in society for a barbecue because let's face it you don't make it in australian media unless it's barbecue conversation um maybe that'll help so right <laughs> absolutely love those ideas uh, i agree with you uh i really like that you just say it how it is uh, you're direct about what you think, which which is rare, to be honest. And a lot of the Australian speakers I've had on the show, maybe, perhaps they're a little bit more politically correct, but I like that you just call a spade a spade, and I appreciate that. And we want people like you on the show to really shed the light on a lot of these shady areas. So I really appreciate your, your time today, Trent, for coming on the show and talking a little bit more about your thoughts and your insights. Well, thanks, Chris. It's, and look, um, and thanks to you because it's, um, <clears throat> you know, the mainstream media probably doesn't want to hear some of these things because, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe they consider it boring or not palatable or, you know, you said it, said the wrong word at one stage. But, you know, it, it's it's people like you that are, that, that are making this happen. So um, thanks for being a champion uh, of the cause. Really appreciate it, Trent. Okay. And um, we will uh, chat again soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Love to do so. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.